shining individually, collectively transforming community, peace in our human family. So below, feel the pain in my soul, the rep he'll dissolve. Organized, no matter the cost. Politicians starts wars, they don't fight, they sit in the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together. Give hell to the masses, watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture. It's one love, one growth, one light, light warriors. Hey everybody, uh, my name is Jamar Jabari. Uh, welcome again to another awesome episode of the Jabari VOC podcast. And I have someone with me that is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I honestly considered him as a mentor. Haven't told him that yet. So it's like the first time. <laughs> uh, they are the best people that I have ever had the pleasure of meeting and helped me plug in with a lot of great resources to do activism so much more effectively. Um, within our small spaces of Connecticut. So I'll just let them um, introduce themselves. Hello, Mike. Hey. Uh, well, first off, thank you so much for that introduction. That's so heartwarming. And um, and I appreciate it. And I feel the same way. Uh, I've learned so much from you over the last few years. And it's just been such an honor working with you. Um, yeah. So I guess in terms of a little bit about me. So I am an Indigenous uh, Palestinian, um, I'm trans, I'm disabled, um, uh, I'm queer, I'm an immigrant slash refugee, depending on which country you ask, and uh, so kind of hover all around, uh, and currently actually live out in Belfast in Northern Ireland. Uh, and over the last probably a decade at this point, in my head I keep saying like six years, but it's actually been I think 11 um, I've been involved with uh, all different types of organizing, started with sexual assault prevention, going into mental health, going into different types of justice. And uh, more recently, over the last year, it's been uh, mostly mutual aid and uh, transformative justice uh, organizing. And currently, uh, I'm uh, doing my master's in conflict transformation and social justice, but I'm also still uh, doing equity and transformation consulting. Uh, so a lot of equity work, a lot of transformative justice work. Uh, so specifically working with communities and uh, how do they transform the foundations that they currently have uh, so that they're able to uh, kind of be self-sufficient in, in, in ways of justice and kind of uh, be accountable to one another, uh, have mutual support, uh, have wellness uh, throughout just because so many of the communities that we have have never had uh, services available to them through the state. And even when the state is a part of anything, it's usually uh, really, really toxic. And so um, I'm specifically really excited about the transformative justice work because uh, it's kind of our way moving forward uh, without having to wait for systems of oppression to be uh, dismantled and uh not waiting for any privileged majorities, kind of uh, not majorities because they're not the majority, but privileged uh, uh, groups to kind of uh, come in and do better. Uh, it just allows us to kind of take charge of our own communities um, when we need it versus on anybody else's timeline um, and in our own process versus their processes. Sorry, I thought I had myself unpaused, but I'm back now. 
and like I said, that is like a lot of great, amazing work. Um, I know. Could you explain to people? Because I know that there a lot of people that want to be allies in the LGBTQ spectrum, for instance. Um, they kind of confuse the uh, the definition of queer and trans as being the same thing. Um, if you can ex- like educate them on how it's different. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it gets really, really complicated with the word queer in particular, because if you think about the term queer, it's really about othering, um, which if you think about the LGBTQ plus community as it stands, not everyone within that group is currently being othered in the same way. Right. So uh, so that so that conversation gets really, really complicated. Um, but in terms of just like the the broader sense of the LGBTQ community, when you look at the different uh, groups that are kind of within that, um, you have kind of more of like the orientation spectrum, but then you have more of like the gender um, the gender spectrum. And unfortunately, within our society, we kind of group everything together. But the reality is that the challenges of a gay cis individual is very different than a trans individual. Um, but they kind of just get lumped together. Um, So oftentimes we'll use the word queer to kind of represent more of the LGBTQ community. So the uh, lesbian, gay, uh, pansexual, um, queer, uh, uh, other types of orientation. So asexual or uh, aromantic, all of those different things uh, can kind of fall under that. And then you have more of the uh, TGNCI community. So the transgender uh, and transgender nonconforming and intersex communities. Uh, just due to the very different challenges that exist um, within transness, within being intersex, um, within uh, gender nonconforming uh, versus more of the, uh, I guess, the orientation spectrum, um, which are kind of some of the other letters. Uh, I've seen it in a lot of different places where, uh, you know, they'll kind of split gender into, you basically have women um, as the gender, right? And then you, uh, you'll you just list, list all of the LGBTQ community as uh, kind of another form of marginalization, which does a lot of injustice to specifically individuals that are both uh, queer and trans. Uh, and it, it kind of prevents us from having conversation or moving conversations forward in terms of gender uh, being more than just cisness. Uh, which unfortunately is where it's kind of stuck in a lot of spaces. Thank, thank you so much. Because um, I was trying to explain it to somebody once, and I clearly didn't give a good definition. Like, what you gay? <laughs> and I think that that's very important because it is true that we do group a lot of people together. Like, now we have acronyms. That's a B-I-P-O-C or P-O-C. <laughs> And, um, you know, I understand that they're trying to, like, give a, give a, a, basically a platform to us saying that people of color need this, the people of color need that, but it's also important to identify the identity, especially when you go into terms as indigenous and when you talk about how some te- some people don't even consider um, you you being Palestinian as, as being a refugee, um, if we could talk about that a little more. Um, I think that right now is the time where a lot more awareness is happening. We see a lot of groups that did not want to talk on the subject of what's happening to Palestinians are now talking about it and coming from a background where 
I am detached from my indigenous background mm -hmm. um, because my grandmother was part of the Saponi tribe up in the highlands mm -hmm. um, of North Carolina and Virginia, the high plains, not the highlands. Um, mm -hmm. I've been trying to connect and I see exactly the parallels of what Native American indigenous people here are going through. And for instance, I don't want anyone here to just think that we are criticizing um, Jewish people. We are criticizing Zionism. We are criticizing the Zionist government um, that allows settlers to come on indigenous land in Palestine. Um, that's what we're criticizing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to that last point, I always kind of compare it to it's uh, it's it's almost when you can compare like things uh, like ISIS or Al Qaeda and blame all Muslims for it, and it's kind of the same thing with um, uh, uh, Jews and and Zionism, right? They're they're so different um, and have very uh, just very very different and have very little to actually do with one another. Uh, it's always actually really interesting looking at like. Um, I even hate, hate like saying the, the word like Israel um, out loud because of like my own history and stuff. But um, but it's always really interesting looking at like the history of Israel and how um, uh, and and how it's structured, right? How um, it's uh, how imperialism and white supremacy are so um, is so foundational to it, right? And uh, and I definitely agree that it's definitely unfair. Uh, to to blame that on Jews or um, or to lump all of that into being a Jew and things like that. Uh, so definitely love that distinction. But it's always interesting in terms of some of that history of, uh, and this is kind of off tangent in terms of like refugees and things like that. But uh, I recently found out about this over the last year or so is uh, specifically the treatment of Holocaust survivors um, back in like the early days of Israel. Um, where they were actually horrifically mistreated. Um, and they were, uh, the, the term that was used for them was, um, I think it was like Sabon or something, um, which was basically like incredibly derogatory. Um, uh, it, it, and, and this is for Holocaust survivors. And it was seen as kind of almost like a weakness that individuals. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, it was it, it was it was a really rough history. And then at one point, um, there was an international case, right, uh, specifically um, to uh, I think this was on in the international court level uh, to charge um, uh, Nazis for some of the, the their war crimes. And that was kind of where Israel started utilizing um, the Holocaust as kind of validation for its existence, um, which I, I think a lot of people. Uh, even like myself did not really know that until um, an individual uh, who identifies as half American, half Israeli, who's very anti-Israel um, kind of shared more of that history. Uh, but I find that always fascinating of how much we've kind of uh, erased from those different things. But anyways, to back to your actual question in terms of displacement and things like that, I, over the last couple of years, I've actually started utilizing the term displacement in terms of, identity um, in an immigration slash refugee status, more in terms of the politics of things. Um, so that also gets really complicated. Uh, the way the world is structured currently um, under uh, the UN and things like that, which is basically where 
like classification for displacement comes in in terms of either internally displaced or refugees um, or asylees. Those are kind of the three different types. Um, basically, the way that that model works is actually, is actually, unfortunately, not to anybody's surprise, is actually incredibly anti-Indigenous. So that model is based on assimilation. So basically what that means is that um, if you receive a citizenship from another country or if you are, um, uh, let's say, re-sheltered in a, in a different country or a different space, even it could potentially be within your own country, but maybe it's a different region than yours. Um, but if, you're, if you assimilate within that, right? So if you're able to, to, to be there, right? You have access to different, very basic resources and things like that. You are no longer actually qualified as displaced um, because you're seen as someone who has integrated within um, different society, right? So when it comes to like my family, for example, so um, my grandparents had Jordanian uh, citizenship because the history between Palestine and, and Jordan is also kind of complex, but at different times, depending on when Palestinians left Palestine, uh, when they were forcibly removed, um, some individuals received Jordanian citizenship, some received like Syrian citizenship, some received Lebanese citizenship, um, and some were just labeled as refugees. Uh, again, just depending on when they left. So it was literally like if you left on a Monday, great, here's citizenship. But if you left by like the end of that week, you could potentially um, be stuck in a refugee camp. But for everybody who has some sort of other citizenship, they're under the UN models are not considered displaced, um, which is also why I use that term so often because I'm like, I don't care UN, <laughs> I'm still <laughs> utilizing this because like you don't speak for us or have never really served us to be fair. Um, right. But it, uh, so it's, it's really interesting to think about that of like based on just UN definitions and things like that around the world, there's over, uh, I believe it's 80 million uh, displaced individuals, but those are only the individuals that have specific displacement status. So everybody else doesn't. And so with like Palestinians, for example, there's about 12 million of us around the world outside of, um, of Palestine. Uh, about 6 million of those individuals are uh, at various refugee camps or internally displaced. Uh, and then the other six are actually individuals who uh, have citizenship or permanent residence or various types of paperwork, um, right? That kind of says that they're already assimilated. Uh, and the way the system is, or the reason the system is put that way is because if you are able to get rid, rid of all refugees, right? And by get rid, I don't mean murder off 6 million people, although, um, I wouldn't be surprised if that were to happen, but uh, it's basically if you're able to, so for those remaining 6 million refugees uh, slash asylees slash internally displaced individuals, um, Palestinians in particular, uh, if you're able to say that all 6 million have received citizenship to a different country, um, then the cost for Palestine no longer exists because you no longer have the after effects of conflict, right? And the after effects of war. Uh, and so that's kind of also been an enormous push over the last, um, probably the, like the last decade. I think it probably started with like the Obama administration. They were really big on this. And then definitely Trump kind of pushed more for it. And we'll see what Biden does. Although I don't have a lot of faith um, when it comes to things getting better. But basically it was, 
it was trying to get Jordan in particular to um, to grant citizenship to all of the refugees that exist there, right? And ultimately kind of doing the same in Syria, doing the same in Lebanon. Um, and then uh, Jordan said no, um, which to outside people sounds like Jordan is bad. Um, but again, if you think about it, the right of return only exists. Uh, I mean, it doesn't really exist for us, right? But us being able to call for it, to the rest of the world only exists because there are 6 million refugees, right? It's not because I, I, as a displaced individual, have Jordanian citizenship and I want to go home. That's not why anybody's really having that conversation on a political level. It's specifically for refugees and, and internally displaced individuals who don't have other, uh, who haven't assimilated uh, into various countries and societies um, to return, right? And so if you grant citizenship to all 6 million of, um, of the refugees, that right of return does not exist anymore. Uh, and so Jordan said no. And uh, from what I hear more recently, um, Egypt is trying to do that. And what they're trying to do is they're actually trying to get all 2 million people in, in Gaza to to migrate into a specific portion of Egypt um, where they're able to assimilate and then Israel is able to take over Gaza, um, which is one of the, the very last like major areas that they have not kind of um, taken over. I mean, there's definitely the West Bank, which is, uh, which is also really critical. But if you look at, I guess, the difference between the West Bank and Gaza is that within Gaza itself, um, they haven't been able to do uh, their different settlements kind of like uh, in the middle of it. Whereas in the West Bank, if you look at the maps and how they're kind of uh, situated, they'll create settlements in between towns to divide towns from one another. Um, so that way, then you have additional check checkpoints, not even just um, between the West Bank and what is now known as uh, the settler colonial state of Israel. Uh, you actually have it within the West Bank itself, which... Uh, has been one of the the biggest things, but that's again that that increased immensely during the Obama administration over the last few years with the Trump administration. Um, but yeah, so it gets really complicated in terms of different statuses. The reason I say that I'm also a refugee slash an immigrant is because um, my family was also a refugee to Canada. Um, we never received citizenship there. Uh, it was a horrendous experience. Absolutely hate Canada. Um, Damn. Because there's the perception that like Canada is doing so much better that they're so much right? nicer than the US. They're actually just as bad, um, but deny it so much more. Um, so absolutely don't like Canada. Uh, and then I also identify as an immigrant because unfortunately, like uh, to reside in any place, right, you still have to go through immigration processes or be undocumented. Um, uh, and so uh, I guess I would currently be classified as like an immigrant in Northern Ireland. Uh, I would still be, uh, I guess, uh, classified as an immigrant in the U.S. Um, I've lived the majority of my life in the U.S., but still don't have U.S. citizenship because of how U.S. immigration works. Uh, and then uh, Jordan, I hold a passport there, but I've also lived in like nine different countries. And so I've been an immigrant in a lot of different countries. Wow. Um, and the term immigrant doesn't necessarily, I think a lot of people hear that and they hear that it means pathway to citizenship. Um, and that's not necessarily how various countries work. Um, that's actually really rare for you to 
be an immigrant like and live in a place and have that always lead to citizenship. Um, actually, the vast majority of uh, of situations don't ever lead to citizenship. Uh, and so you're you're under this still like non-resident alien status, uh, as we're called in the U.S., um, almost like potentially indefinitely. Uh, and uh, at the slightest thing, right, a change of administration, a change of uh, whatever, um, you could still lose that status and be deported um, for like the smallest of things. Or if anytime you leave the country, and this goes for any country, um, there's no legal obligation for any country to let you in as a non-resident alien. Um, so, for example, if I uh, want to go to uh, in the, to the U.S. and let's say I only have a work visa, um, I can still have my job. I can be a hundred percent like following every single little tiny order or whatever. Uh, and the person at the airport does not need a reason to turn me away. Um, they literally can just say they choke. They just they felt that something was off, and that is more than enough. Um, and what that does Islamophobic as fuck. It's 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 a lot of things, yeah. And so, and that's and unfortunately, like the U.S. has a very long history, right? Of uh, when it comes to immigration, of specifically barring disabled individuals, trans individuals, right? All of the and I'm doing like quotations. I know folks can't see me, but like the <laughs> broken people, right. Um, right? The ones that have things wrong with them. So all trans people, all disabled people, all gender nonconforming individuals, um, any non-white person. Um, basically. Uh, yeah, basically a lot of various marginalized groups. And so if you look at the U.S. history along the way, all of those individuals have been criminalized um, and not allowed to immigrate um, and to this day, you still cannot immigrate to the U.S. if you list yourself as a trans or disabled individual. Um, wow. Technically, those are still listed as, uh, let me try to think of the word, but like, oh, like undesirable. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, the, well, the U.S. doesn't have to issue anybody visas, right? Or or have people go through immigration any way, shape, or form. Um, I was actually surprised when I was going through my process for like permanent residence in the U.S. Um, and uh, no, surprised is way too strong of a word. <laughs> I'm rarely surprised these days. Um, <laughs> you you actually have to do a TB and an HIV test. What? Um, because, yeah, because they haven't actually updated a lot of the, the different things that they created in the 80s, barring individuals with HIV to immigrate to the U.S. And I think what most people also don't realize is the amount of individuals um, who were U.S. citizens in the 80s, um, but were originally from various other countries who were who had their citizenship revoked because of the AIDS crisis, um, because they tested positive for HIV. Uh, and and it's, it's really interesting of how invisible so many things are. And it's, it's kind of the same as like post 9-11 of the Muslim registry lists um, that people didn't think existed until Trump, but like the Bush administration started that in 2001. And the yeah. amount of people were like deported overnight um, or threatened um, and bullied into leaving the country. Uh, and I remember like growing up in in Arizona, the amount of, and I didn't really, like it didn't really hit me until years later, right? But in that time period of like just family friends disappearing, right? Entire families 
just being gone. And, and no one said a thing, right? Because FBI entrapment is also very real. <laughs> um, right. And everyone was kind of terrified of like what's happening and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, so it's just, it's, it's such a messy, messy area. And uh, I feel like the more I learn about it, uh, and I feel like at this point, I know enough to be like an immigration lawyer at the very least. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Anyway. But even then, like, it's still like nothing in comparison to like how insidious like the entire system is. Right. Right. And and like it's just honestly just so scary um, when you were talking about how when 9-11 happened and the Islamophobia went through the roof. Um, and for people that are listening, I want you to understand that they use that war to murder so many Middle Eastern um, Muslim identifying people up in the Middle East, um, all people, black people, Middle Eastern people, everybody that lived in that region were subject to victims in war. And the number toll right now is almost a million. I think it actually is a million. And these are lives that are never spoken about. They, they keep using 9-11 to prop up their wars. And I remember talking, sitting, sitting down in meetings um, with um, some Muslim leaders, and they were talking about how back in the day, because I was a kid during 9-11 and when Bush administration happened, so I didn't sure. notice anything. But they were, saying, they were just talking about how so many families just went missing. Yeah. Um, and that was just, it, it literally touch me i didn't even know how to react to that just just thinking about how none of this is not even like reported they don't talk about this in the western media every time you they talk about it in the rest of the media it's always just derogatory language that they give about the muslim community and the middle eastern community um, yeah it's it's pretty scary how um not even like that those things have happened, but how they continuously happen for different groups of people, almost like cyclically within like, not even like more than a decade time passing in between uh, and how little, I feel like awareness is not really the right word anymore because I feel like there is more awareness and it's kind of right in front of a lot of people. And so it's much more difficult to kind of ignore long-term. Right. But it just, it's, it's so unfortunate that these things are able to just continuously happen as if they're happening for the first time when in reality, it's just the legacy of settler colonial States like the U S like Canada, like Australia, like Israel. Uh, and and how it just goes unquestioned, unanswered for. Um, and even when there is any kind of acknowledgement or things like that, it just kind of utilized as gaslighting to prop up a different part of the system to do even more harm in different ways. Uh, so it just, uh, it's just outrageous and um, mind blowing that that continues happening um, all around the world. Yeah, and, and, and what upsets me is how people hear when you have these conversations with them and especially like these people that are like gun enthusiasts, for instance, and they just have the Bible in their hand with a whole AK-47 in the other hand and then they are going over to mosque 
acting like they're trying to protect America. And I'm like, do you not understand how racist and how um, xenophobic that you are presenting yourself? You're literally exposing yourself. Your children do not even want to socialize with you yeah. unless they're just that crazy. And I think that the United States needs and other colonial white countries needs to um, acknowledge this carnage and they need to reverse it since they have started this. Um, this whole rhetoric towards Iran and everything is just another example of just how much racism is fueling their gas tanks and stuff. Um, yeah. But you know, this is why we have platforms like this, so we can yeah. talk about it. <laughs> and yeah. I see there's about one or two people listening, so share this video, please, because this is a lot of important information. Um, there's just so much information. I think people should re rewatch this or re-listen to this just to get informed, because you literally dropped on a dime of just understanding of how what it's like um, just migrating or not even just migrating, just moving over to other countries and traveling and how they treat people. And someone like me, I don't understand that because I haven't traveled like that yet. But I can imagine that it's probably like I will probably have a similar experience just for being black <laughs> before even going down to breaking down religion or anything, but just for being black. Yeah. Yeah, it's always, it's it's kind of interesting of thinking of like citizenship, right? And um, these are a lot of conversations I've been having over the last year, um, right? But citizenship is kind of seen, especially if you're like the most privileged of people, right? So you're like cis, straight, white, and uh, non-disabled and just everything. Um, citizenship is viewed as just like a, almost like a God-given right, right? It's just something you're born with and it's yours. Um, when in fact, like citizenship is actually the the biggest marker, right? Of or like, or not maybe the biggest marker and the biggest proof, right? That as an individual, you're benefiting off of the oppression of imperialism all around the world, um, and that's been a really interesting concept trying to explain to like right. um, to to folks throughout Europe, right? Of that like the reason their passports carry power is because they screwed over the rest of the world. Um, yep, exactly. And, and, but to, to that point of like, so that's the more privileged people. So at the same time, you do have uh, individuals, right? So like, like yourself, for example, right? You have U.S. citizenship. Um, there's quite a lot of people, right, from marginalized, marginalized communities that also have, have that citizenship. Um, and I really wish that there was more discourse to talk about how do you utilize that power, right? Because mm -hmm. that piece of documentation, right, that little bit of cardboard um, carries a lot of power, right? And so when you go to places in the world, like, yes, they, uh, like, especially if you go into, like, uh, I don't know, very anti-Black places. So, like, thinking of, like, Australia. So, like, if you go to Australia, right, Australia is not going to love that you're going to be there, right? Immigration-wise, it's going to be like, oh, God, Jamar is here. It's <laughs> my Black ass, Australia. Give it yeah, back to so, Aboriginal people. <laughs> and, and also, though, at the same time, for them to not let you in, 
is a big deal, right? So, it, which is really interesting to think about of that in the US, right? That piece of cardboard means nothing for you, right? You're, you're treated as if you're less than nothing on a daily basis. Um, and yet in other areas around the world, they might not like you as a person and yet they still have to honor that piece of cardboard because that piece of cardboard is what holds like all of imperialism together, right? And right. so for them to denounce it is them denouncing imperialism, which what they will never do. And so I wish there was more conversation about what does that actually mean in terms of like, how do you utilize that power that this small tiny piece of paper that doesn't give you any power where you actually live? How do we talk about what it gives you in other places and the type of influence that you could potentially have in the places that the US is screwing over, which is basically the rest of the world, because there is no conflict in the world that is not somehow funded by the US. And that like, in itself is scary. Just thinking about Yemen, for instance, how people yeah. keep saying Yemen is not doesn't have US troops there. We are there secretly and we supply the weapons to Saudi Arabia. So yeah. <laughs> oh my God. The the U US interference is it's it's terrifying when you look at any part of the world, when you look at any society that is like actually getting better, and then all of a sudden they stop getting better historically. It's just the US. It's like always the US, plus <laughs> the British, plus other European actors, but like yeah. always the US at this point over the last few hundred years. So like any location in the world, if you think about why is it not a wonderful, like amazing place in terms of like access to resources and things like that? The answer is always going to be the US, even <laughs> if you don't know why or how, like there's a history deeper there that like, if you look into it, like I've never been wrong. <laughs> I want to find a place where like, that's actually not true. And like, again, if it's not the US, then it's the British. And like, depending on like how long ago it was, right, then it could be like other European actors and different U European countries are still heavily screwing over the rest of the world as well. Um, but not to the degree of the US. In fact, like in the US in particular, the thing that they will do more than any other place in the world is like, let's say there's a conflict in like, like Mozambique, for example, and this is actually like a real thing. The US will fund every single side of the conflict <laughs> specifically like unless like you bring in communism and things like that then they won't yeah. fund them. but like anywhere else right or like any other like any opposition to anything that's like against capitalism they will fund all of like anything related to neoliberalism related to capitalism even if it's things they completely disagree with but they will fund the the, the conflict so that no matter who wins, right, they they are able to still have a say and a sense of control in those different areas. And we see this like everywhere, unless like countries completely close themselves off like Cuba, um, yeah. right? Like they they will continuously maintain that um, that that sense of uh, of involvement. So one thing I, I learned very recently, and this was actually like through my master's program, we were like having a brief conversation, just me and a few other people. Um, mm -hmm. And we were talking about the conflict here in Northern Ireland, right? Where Northern Ireland is a settler colony of the British. Um, right? uh, so, six, six counties, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, it used to be the entire island for like the last 700 years or so. Um, 
but the the south received their uh, their independence so you have the republic of ireland and then the north is kind of um stuck in between um irish and british identities specifically because the the difference between the two is that the republic was more of a colony so they were colonized but they were never really settled and so uh, it wasn't like the U.S., right? So the difference between colonies versus settler colonies is that with colonies, it's what a lot of the Brit- the British used to do in a lot of places, right? So you go to a place, you basically say you own everything. It's what a lot of like European countries did to like Africa and the rest of the world. They just go, they're like, okay, we own everything. Y'all basically work for us now. But they don't necessarily eradicate the indigenous population unless like revolts happen or to make a statement and things like that still really, really, really treacherous and awful. But ultimately, people that are still there, right, are still indigenous. With settler colonies like the U.S., like Canada, like Australia, like Israel, there's actually there's an active portion of eradicating the indigenous population Yes. Because you have settlers now. And so Northern Ireland's kind of like that. And there was genocide a hundred and maybe almost 200 years ago at this point with like um, the, the Irish famine, right. Where half the Island was, uh, was killed, uh, like died from it um, or uh, ended up leaving the country. I think 2 million people ended up leaving um, because of uh, how that was orchestrated by the British. And so the North had, settlers versus just indigenous individuals, which is where you kind of have the conflict and everything. But anyways, in the seventies, there was um, an active, uh, an active armed conflict. uh, I would call it a war uh, specifically between um, Irish, uh, Irish individuals and settler colonial individuals. Um, It killed about 3,400 individuals, which looking at other conflicts does not sound like a really large number, but it was 30 years of ongoing violence. Um, and and that didn't end until 1998. And specifically the way it ended was the US got involved eventually. And this was the Clinton administration and, and all that kind of stuff. And so we were in class and I was like, you know, if like Northern Ireland or like the Irish Republicans at the time wanted, like if there was like a communist party or something and they wanted to make Northern Ireland communist, right? Like no one would allow that to happen, right? Like the U.S. Oh, would have been freaked like, out. Everybody, right? Like <laughs> tens and hundreds of thousands of people would have like died and like it would have just escalated drastically. And it was really funny because uh, one of the individuals in the in the in this group um, is is Irish and has done a lot on like Irish history and specifically on like um, Irish independence and all that kind of stuff. And she was like, you know, actually there was a Irish Republican Communist Party. And as soon as they were formed, as soon as they started gaining traction, that was when the U.S. got involved. And now nobody remembers them. They have had zero say in anything. They've not been permitted in any part of anything, Um, which was like, see, I was right. The U.S. is always involved. (laughs) Worst reasons. I know. I know it reminds me of the Cuban Missile Crisis. How they try to teach us that Russia was aiming at us first when they literally had put nuclear warheads in Turkey, <laughs> aiming at Russia, like for the first time. And they're like, "Oh, you want to do that? Okay, let's call Fidel up, yo, Fidel." <laughs> it's like, dude, you started it. You started it first. <laughs> now you want to act like the victim, like. <laughs> 
I mean, it's it's this thing of like, if you're a communist or if you're any marginalized group, right? If you're black, indigenous, if you're brown, if you're disabled, if you're trans, whatever it is, none of us are really humans, right? And so we're like partial, basically almost semi-human. And yeah. so it's almost like whatever- three-fifths of a human back in the day. Yeah. And, yeah. and so like, it's it, it's, there are no real actions except- <laughs> the actions that it, that exist within like white, white settler colonialism. Um, and so like it, when we don't do anything, we've done things. When we do things, we haven't done things. It just, because we're not real. And so it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's just not, we're just not real. So nothing. This we is do kind of the ideology and rhetoric that you're seeing in Zionism as well mm-hmm. too. And yeah. And it has gotten to the point where, you know, like I have Jewish friends and some some of my Jewish friends don't want to hang out with other Jewish friends because of the whole issue with Israel. Mm. Everyone is divided on that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had an argument with this one girl that was just saying that, oh, the Palestinian people aren't indigenous. And I literally broke down to her. I'm like, all right. So how many of your grandfathers, grandfathers are in Israel? And how many Palestinian grandfathers, grandfathers are buried in Palestine? And she's like, well, we're from like Turkey or something like that. I'm like, okay, so how is it that your land, but I understand you want to coexist if you want to be a part of it because you have the the biblical and the, the Torah, but like you can't just tell somebody because that's what they were telling them they're telling middle eastern people like that's not your land like you can't tell somebody that has grandfathers and grandfathers and grandfathers buried in that same land that that's not their land yeah but she didn't want to hear that so we're just not friends anymore and (laughs) yeah uh i'm sorry go ahead oh no go ahead i'm just gonna say like i think I, I think one thing to keep in mind with Zionism as well is that um, this wasn't the first time that um, uh, white settler co- co- colonizers, um, I use that term way too much. I can't say it anymore. But um, no, go ahead, use it as much but, as you want. <laughs> uh, but, but that's not the first time that, the, like, quote unquote, God, right, was utilized for imperialism, right? Um, like none of this is new. And and I find that with like this discourse around Zionism, because so much of the other wars that were driven by um, the, the idea of God has been more like Catholicism and Christianity and the different sects of that, um, that it's almost like a completely different conversation. And it's just like, no, it's actually like still the exact same conversation. It's still the usage of, um, of a higher power of the concept of religion of specifically organized religion um, as a means for additional settler colonialism. Um, Right. And one thing that I think that I would like more people to really think about is I guess when it it comes to, to things like Zionism um, uh, to, to also, I always loved like looking at, the intersects between different things and looking at things that seemingly have nothing to do with each other, but are still very much motivated by very similar things. Um, And so I was recently thinking about this of when you think of the idea of Zionism, it was a very, very, very select group of Jewish individuals, 
right, with this very specific political ideology, right, who basically wanted to gain enough privilege to be able to oppress just like their white counterparts, um, right? right? Because up until Israel, like white people, uh, Jews were not considered white. Um, and to this day, there are individuals that don't identify as such, and that's really up to them. Um, but I'm talking more about how society views individuals, right? In a lot of spaces right now, um, if, I mean, if you look at like the, the individuals that live in Israel, right, they're predominantly European descent, white, white Jewish individuals, um, which to the rest of the world, the world doesn't always care about underlying identities. They don't really care how you identify. It's just what you're perceived as sometimes. Um, and so they would be seen as white. Um, but so it's, it's really interesting of how Zionism, again, was used as a way to gain additional privilege to be able to... Um, basically to, to, to be the ones that are oppressing. And then I think of things like white feminism, right. Or um, even like the LGB community, right. Um, yes. The white portions of that and how within assembling, right. Of uh, So everyone assembles differently within different identities. And so you could carry five identities that are marginalized and one identity that's privileged or dominating identity, you're, you might assemble within any of those six identities, but you might assemble within more of the dominant one, which is why, like, you'll see individuals that, like, you could have a trans, um, a, a trans white individual, but they're incredibly white supremacist and will throw all other trans people under the bus who are not white. Um, Yo, that so- is insane how common that is. I got into an argument with someone that was trying to say all Syrians are bad and they need to take <laughs> over. And this was a trans white person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's just how, how individuals assemble, right? Which I really wish more people did the reflection to really think about how do they assemble? Is it within um, whiteness, within uh, cisness, within straightness, within, um, uh, within material wealth, right? Like whatever, within abilities, whatever it is, um, because it tells us so much about who we are as individuals and then we're able to modify it. Um, but so I really wish there was more discourse to kind of look at Zionism, to look at white feminism, to look at what is happening within um, the LGB, uh, I guess the entire community, right? All of the, the LGBTQ plus community, if you want to group everybody together um, within disabilities, within all of those different places, and even within more marginalized communities, right? So um, even within like, for example, like brown Muslim communities, right? Or uh, like black Muslim communities, which are, uh, but I'm going to speak to like brown Muslim communities because that's more of like my community, I guess. Um, you will have individuals who have gained a lot of material wealth and they will assemble entirely exclusively with whiteness, um, even though they don't have that identity or, but they're, they're assembling within, um, within capitalism, right? Which you can't have capitalism without like white supremacy. And so like they ultimately also say assemble it again, with- say it again. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I really wish that there was more discourse, right, to have those conversations, to look at things, and, and not specifically for individuals, not a part of those communities to have those conversations, but people within those communities to have a conversation, right? So I would love to see the Jewish community talk about how Zionism has divided um, Jewish community, how it's uh, how it's created different power systems, how it's created different types of assembly structures, and then how that intersects with things like um, like white feminism and like white queerness and white transness and white disability and all that kind of stuff. Because just because you carry more than one identity of marginalization doesn't mean that 
you're not bringing forward just the oppressive identities of, of, like that's where you're assembling um and at the same time i would love to see more of my communities do all of that right so like palestinians and muslims and trans people and queer people and disabled people and uh and, okay i'll stop there because the list yeah, can just you know, go just basically right. solidarity honestly just solidarity with all communities yeah like, for instance with judaism we never talk about the black judaism that mm -hmm. has their own land in africa their yeah. own communities their own schools they speak hebrew they've been doing it for thousands of years um we never talk about that yeah ever jamar if you talk about that though then we would have to talk about <laughs> name community being deported from Israel because Israel does not allow you to just it's a it's on paper the land for Jews but it's a land for white Jews right yeah. so they've yeah. deported thousands or not even just deported they've sterilized <laughs> they've done everything that all the other settler colonial states have done but specifically this is specific to black Jews right who have gone there, um, right? Because it's it's supposedly a land for all Jews, but it's it's right. really not. And that is a problem with Zionism. It's just yeah. exclusive to just whiteness. When there's yeah. Middle Eastern Jews, there's Black Jews. You know, it's just if you want to have a land that's really for Jewish people, I would think you'll let them all in instead of just the European Jews. Yeah. But yeah, you know, that's a whole nother conversation because this um Mark Lamont uh he is dropping a documentary about uh black Palestinians and um I'm waiting on that. I know it's coming, but I can't wait. <laughs> um, yeah. do you know Vic Mensa who's a rapper? I yeah. You know, let me go in the segue with how important the Black American solidarity is with Palestinians. Um, Vic Mensa is a rapper who uh, is currently signed at Dev Jam. He's very, very far left. Uh, I follow him on Instagram. He goes to Palestine because he wants to learn more. So he goes to the West Bank. Um, mm. He couldn't get into Gaza, but he tried to. I don't think anybody can get into Gaza, right? Uh, it's it's very difficult and it depends on the day and how Israel is feeling that day or how Egypt is feeling that day. And so it's just mm -hmm. like, it's just, a, yeah, depends on feelings. And yeah, so he basically was saying that when he was there, he can see the similarities between growing up in poverty in Chicago on just mm -hmm. how the water is and how yeah. people are treated there. Um, and that resonated with me so much because like I definitely understand growing up in Bridgeport in a very rough neighborhood and how the, the government itself in Bridgeport really didn't do anything to help people yeah. of color in Bridgeport. Um so it's it definitely resonates with me on that note and just, just the history of like Malcolm X and the Black Panthers, how they kept talking about the Palestinian struggle or talking about Egypt. Or talking about Mecca, um, yeah. it's just so important to just let people understand that there are so much we have in common, 
and we shouldn't just choose a side. We should be choosing the right side of the oppressed at all levels. Because yeah. if we can get each other free and we all come together, then nothing can stop us. But it's just, you know, you got people like Umar Johnson, who is another black activist compared to Mark Lamont, who is yeah. always talking about solidarity with oppressed communities. Umar is talking about how, oh, they're going to sign a bill for trans people, but they can't sign a bill for black people. They're going to sign a bill to, to protect Asian people, but they can't sign a bill for black people. It's like, brother, you know how this country is. Don't yeah. target other communities and try to make us be, envy, be envious towards them. That's whiteness. That's yeah. a colonizer mindset because that's how they think. That's mm-hmm. how they move. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, I love the the deeply rooted history of um, uh, the indigenous, black, the Irish, and the Palestinian solidarity. Those four, in particular, um, have just always been so fascinating to learn about. And I remember I was talking to, and it's just like it's something that you, you kind of like grow with. And so I've known about like Irish from like when I was a child because it came up um, right because there was that solidarity and it's it was really interesting I was having a conversation a couple years ago with one of my indigenous friends um, and they were they were uh, they were like you know I have to be honest with you but like where are the Palestinians here right like in terms of showing up for indigenous Americans right um, in the U.S. in particular right Uh and we had this really wonderful conversation and kind of talking about the differences between being Palestinian and having assembled within a oppressive identity, which is unfortunately what happens in a lot of communities, um, you know, versus being on the land itself, right? Or being fully deeply connected with the land um, and how that changes. And right. when we look at it across the board, it's very much the same thing of like, if you think of, um, like Irish Americans, for example, versus like um, Irish individuals here. So when I go outside here, this is literally the only place in the world that I have ever experienced where it is for specifically the Irish community, they will always celebrate me being Palestinian, right? So I can say I'm Palestinian to anyone who carries Irish identity, right? So this isn't like settler colonial identity because they will change the subject. They don't like us, Um, but Irish identity. They're like, I've literally had multiple people be like, oh, my God, we love you all. We love Palestine. And I've literally had people be like, and we don't know why. We just know that we do. <laughs> Our people well, have always stayed together. Um, exactly. But then, it's the bond. It's the bond it of being colonized. Like, and it's Ireland so powerful. So much. Yeah. Yeah. But then you look at, like, Irish Americans, for example, right? And yeah. that doesn't exist at all. Like, yeah, at all. Yeah. I, I lived in Boston for a while and like in Massachusetts and in New York and like all these places. And I've never had an Irish American person be like, Oh my God, we love Palestine. It's been so erased, right. As different groups have had to assimilate, they've kind of lost a lot of that solidarity that existed. And it's the same way with Palestinians ha- now becoming like second generation Americans, right. If they have material wealth and things like that, or different types of privilege, um, they forget those things, right. They forget that, that black indigenous Palestinians and Irish people always stood together, right? That like, and to this day in Palestine, right? There will always be things like anytime anything happens in the US, like things will happen there. 
But like in other Palestinian communities, nothing will happen, right? Black people aren't seen as people, unfortunately, right? And same with like indigenous communities and so on and so forth. Um, and so it is really unfortunate, which I think is, again, why it's so critical for individuals to really think about how they're assembling um, and how they're showing up with one another. Uh, so I know we don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to uh, just kind of circle back to the transformative justice for a sec. Um, oh, yes. Thinking of uh, like in line with, with this conversation, right, of what you were kind of saying um, about like uh, Chicago back in the day and uh, and the experiences of black individuals in the, in the US and the experiences of Irish individuals under um, the oppressive settler state of uh, the English, I guess, uh, you know, Palestine, all that kind of stuff. Um, and really thinking of also along the way, um, uh, along the way, what we lost as we moved outside of what is considered like uh, conflicts, conflicts, right? So really thinking of uh, the things that have existed that are magical within our communities. And, and and I'm talking about this, like still existing in like the West Bank, for example. So when you look at the West Bank versus Jordan, so Jordan is over 50% originally Palestinian. Um but life structure, very different. I have cousins who are able to go back and forth between the West Bank and um, and Jordan. And they're like, we absolutely love the West Bank, absolutely hate Jordan. We live our <laughs> lives in the West. Y'all don't live your lives in Jordan. Um, and, and if you look at like the rates of uh, individuals dying from suicide in terms of different types of um, how individuals view, diff view different things, they're completely different, even though they're literally like 10 miles apart it, at like different spaces um, and that's specifically because the community in the West Bank because they're all going through the same thing they honor that right so when someone gets arrested they all mourn right when someone is killed they all mourn when land is taken they all mourn and they support individuals right in getting housing right they that's will amazing. find a house for that person right they will mutual aid just exists naturally there because it has to, because that's what the, that community has always had, even pre-Israel, pre the British colonizing it, pre-everything, right? That's just how our communities used to always be everywhere, right? But then you go into other places, right? And as we assimilate into more oppressive identities, we lose all of that, right? Which is why yes. last year, when like mutual aid came up, so many communities, even the most marginalized communities were like, what are you talking about? What is this? And it's like, no, no, this is yours, right? This isn't a white pool that white people created. This is something our communities have always had. Um, and I would love for us to have more conversations to really dig deeper into those things of, yes, there was violence or there is violence, right? And people are dying and people are imprisoned. And also let's talk about all the magical things within our communities. And then how do we bring those things to our communities that are no longer seen as in an active war zone, right? Or an active conflict. Um, Cause it's the same way for like the Irish American community, right? If they're able to tap into, right? The, the roots of Irishness, the roots of how they were right through all of that oppression, 400 years of that oppression, um, well, how hey. they within like settler colonialism still in Northern Ireland, um, same with the black community, same with all communities, but unfortunately it's usually the opposite that happens. So even here in like Northern Ireland, there is a huge divide between the North and the Republic of Ireland, where in the Republic, from what I hear from friends, being Northern Irish isn't really, it, it, or being Irish, but living in the North is not really honored as, as being Irish anymore in the same ways. Um, that solidarity 
of like the same land doesn't exist in the same way. And you see the same thing happening in Palestine. So there's an enormous divide between Gaza and the West Bank, right? Which right. unfortunately gets created right through imperialism, right? And all these systems and always the U.S. interfering with things, always the U.S. That's the takeaway for everybody. Um, uh, but so thing with Black Americans in the Caribbean. We have yeah. a divide and we need to fix that. Oh my God. It's uh, the Caribbean history is absolutely like just, uh, I was, I, I was reading on like Haiti's history maybe last year and like the things the U S has done to Haiti and people don't look at Haiti as having been a colony of the U S but literally like, so the French screwed over Haiti obviously because they made them pay. Basically they had to pay for their freedom. Like, they basically bought their own island. Um, but anyways, uh, and that didn't end until more recently, but that would have been semi-fine if it was just that. It wouldn't have been fine, but it would have been semi-fine comparatively. But then the French, along with the Americans, um, and I think it was mostly the Americans, but I also like to blame the French because they're also awful. Um, <laughs> then the Americans would not allow Haiti to, uh, and, and the French, it, it was definitely both. So, the, the Americans would not do any trade with Haiti. They would not allow it. They basically would steal any ships that like any trades that were coming in or out. France did not allow any other European country or any of its colonies to interact with Haiti. Um, and basically the only way that the U.S. allowed Haiti to do any trade was when they took it over, when they colonized it and were like, okay, now this is ours. Now you're allowed to trade. Um, and that existed for like a hundred years. Right. Uh, and then they went and put a bunch of different dictatorships. Yep. Uh, right now, right now they got one that they're trying to oust out. Yeah, always. And like, even if they asked them out, like the U.S. will just come back with like a new dictator. And um, it's, but it's amazing of like how, um, like people who are U.S. citizens and who identify as American, quote unquote, because Americans are a much broader area. Um, oh, yeah. Know absolutely nothing about that. Um, yeah, or like, well, that's why I've been trying to talk to black people about that because Haiti history is such a huge, important uh, relic of our existence yeah. for all black people. Yeah. And it should be talked about every single day. Um, that spirit of Jean Jacques Dessalines needs to just yeah. always be spoken about. Yeah. And and I would also add to that of like of I want I I guess want is maybe like too much of a of a word of uh to to have because I don't know I don't think it will happen. Um but I would like us to demand that the queer community show up for places like Haiti because um specifically because one of the major things that are that is happening in Haiti is the amount of people who are dying from HIV um, and TB, wow. which was transmitted to Haiti from the U.S., but the U.S. blamed Haiti for it in the 80s. Of course, and, of course they did. <laughs> but, but HIV and AIDS is a queer thing, right? It's it, it, and not a queer thing as in it's something that impacts the entire queer community, but it's something that we were all subjected to. We were all marginalized for. It's our struggle. It's, it's, it's ours. 
right? Yeah. And I would love to see specifically the more privileged queer individuals, right, show up for places like Haiti um, and other areas around the world where immense amounts of people are still dying from AIDS, not because we don't have medication for it, because we know, like living in the US, we know that it's actually really easy to to treat, right, in terms of like, or not treat, but like manage over your lifetime and still like never really die from it for the most part. Um, but it's the way the pharmaceutical industry works, right? The way that the US capitalistic system works and the European capitalistic systems and and how we're not able to get medication to those areas um, that literally like cost almost nothing to make and yet can save countless lives. Um, and so I would like to see the queer community more involved with that. Um, and, oh, yes. I mean, I would love to see like the, all the privileged communities, like the white cis straight, um, all, all the privileged communities show up to things. But to be fair, I don't have a lot of hope and, and faith in like making that happen for all privileged communities. I'm happy to work with privileged communities, right? Like when they're interested in doing work, but yeah. I tend to focus on how do I support the most marginalized communities and specifically the most marginalized of the most marginalized. And how do mm -hmm. we show up for ourselves and create the world that we want to live in, regardless of what happens with the privileged communities? Um, which is why I'm asking for the queer community to show up as a community that is marginalized, but also carries certain privileges, especially if they're part of um, global North countries and carry citizenships. Um, that is us, yeah. right? Like we can show up, we can do better. And you know, what I love, what, what I'm seeing is, and in, in, in when it comes to that, when we could teach that is when we have like, our support groups and we have places like the price center that, that provides such great access. Um, we just need to have these conversations, you know, and I definitely um, trying to like launch something uh, similar to that, um, but it's in the works. It's in the works. Um, and I hope that I can like get this conversation like this going because it's just so important to just constantly get educated on what you are not taught what they're not teaching you in school especially yeah. when it impacts your life just off of being queer um just off of being trans just off of being black just off of being middle eastern it's just a history that everyone needs to know before yeah. you end up just believing anything the government tells you and they know they have the system in place so you don't know because if you yeah. didn't know you'll probably be rebellion right now <laughs> like how we are <laughs> ideally right <laughs> you'll probably be very bad very upset um because you it's like what uh james baldwin said a black man is a, a conscious black man is constantly enraged yeah and throughout the few years um, of activism for me, I had to learn to tame that rage so I can be able to reach people and not freak people out with my rage. <laughs> Honestly, freak them out. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so rage is, is definitely an area that like I always love talking about. Um, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Killing Rage by Bell Hooks. No, um, I haven't, but I have heard of that book, actually. It's 
it's the most like I I probably mentioned it to you at one point or another, but it's the most like validating thing for rage because the like the settler colonial narrative or like the oppressive narrative around rage and shame and all of those complex emotions is that they are awful and they destroy and they need to be gone. And then Bell Hooks's vision is more like, no, rage is going to exist with any injustice, similar to like what James Baldwin said. Yep. And we've always had it and we've always been able to create amazing things with it. It's not something we need to get rid of. It's not just something that we have to like uh, meditate out of our bodies, right? And just like throw it away. It's literally, we've built movements from this. I know everything I've ever built, whether it's like, uh, different nonprofits I've co-founded or founded, whether it's like different movement spaces, different projects I've supported, whether it was like the mutual aid work last year, whatever it was, mm-hmm. it's always been built off of my rage. Like it's like, yes. I am so pissed off. Like my favorite word last year was I am livid <laughs> because <laughs> I was just, because just seeing how things were, were going down, right. Seeing how different people were showing up to in spaces and how awful that was. And like, how it was just it it was just it was just awful to see but utilizing that right like taking that emotion and being like okay cool and i'm going to go and build this now right, right. like i'm going to invest all of this into something that could potentially last within a community could be used by a community could actually benefit us and so on and so forth and and that's i think that's a really um it's a dangerous discourse for uh, oppressive systems to acknowledge because I think if everyone taps into their rage, right, the rage that exists within every single marginalized individual, right, because every injustice builds that rage, the rage that exists within individuals who are privileged, who actually care about any of this, right, and are watching it, because they also have rage at the system, ideally, some of them will have rage at us, um, but rage at the system, if every single person was able to utilize that rage to build, we would immediately transform the world within like six months, not even yeah. three months. Oh, yeah. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And I see you, you can see the disconnect when you look at uh, people that are wealthy, how they help out compared to working class people, how they help out like working class people will put their gas on the line. They'll, they'll do everything they can to help out, especially with an example like mutual aid. You know, wealthy people, you got to kind of like direct them or just yeah. like, you know, give me your money. <laughs> well, I'll do it my damn self. <laughs> that kind of like, but you don't want to tell them that. You just got to like direct them in that way or they'll just give you like some diapers or something like that. But you, yeah. a, a working class person will just pull up with a truck full of diapers, <laughs> for example. And it was like, how the hell you get this? I'm like, I called my grandma and she called some people and we got this shit. Like, we about to give it out. Like, <laughs> you can just yeah. see the need and how important the need is when someone understands the need. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, we've always shown up for our communities. We know how to show up. It's, it's unfortunate because it's, it's kind of like what was happening with mutual aid last year and what happened in a lot of places of, because because the needs were so large, right? That even with everyone coming together, everyone supporting one another, because it's from a space of inequity, right? Of, from a space of no one has enough anyways, right? It almost just 
like the community will support one another and there's so much benef benefits to that, right? But long-term, it doesn't actually uh, completely transform our societies like it needs to. And I feel like that's one thing that privileged populations didn't really understand because they're like, well, that person pulled up with a truckload of diapers, so you're lying and you don't actually need anything. Yeah. And it's like, well, those like, diapers are everybody's diapers, right? So now yeah. everybody doesn't have enough diapers instead of just one person not having enough diapers, which is how we roll. Like we're willing to do that for one another. But that 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 concept, right, of that you could potentially have less to share the the struggle with others does not really exist within privileged communities from my experience, unfortunately. Okay. And it needs to, right? I really wish that's something that privileged communities are able to get into, right? Have those conversations, do the work because you can definitely get there. It's just not a naturally occurring thing, right? It's something that you have to be taught and learn and, and experience and practice and all of those different things because it doesn't happen just organically. Um, because my my thing more recently has been to privileged populations of do not give things do, do not give money to things you're ready for, right? Do not give money to to things that are never going to challenge the status quo because you've been doing that for generations, right? Like the Democratic Party, but I don't want to talk yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, that, that that needs to be a different conversation. And <laughs> it's also, and I need them to stop looking at it as charity because it's yes. not charity. This is money that you have off of our oppression. That's the yes. only reason you have it. Like, yes, you're hardworking. I get that. Like, I, I know that white people struggle and cis people struggle and straight people struggle. I've been there with you. I've seen that, all of those kinds of things. And also the reason that you are able to hold on to that wealth, right, is because of, of oppression, right, is because yes. of the benefits off of our bodies, whereas like you can have the hardest working black trans woman, right, who will do eight times more work than any other person, right? But because of how the system is, she might be okay, right? She might survive, but she's not going to end up with a mansion in the hells somewhere, right? Whereas like yeah. you could potentially do that like as a more privileged individual and the pandemic proved that. I know so many people, right? That actually accumulated wealth during the pandemic, right? Because that $3,000 coming from the government right, for your yeah. stimulus checks, they didn't actually need those for any actual things because they never lost their jobs. They were already saving money from those jobs. So that $3,000 just went into savings. I know people who have paid off student loans or paid off their house or their car or just have extra money specifically because the pandemic happened. And, and it's they like- they deserve that. They, you know, it, like they should have that. They, they absolutely should. And also- they need to go to the people that have more than that, that they have access to that we don't yeah. and tell them that they need to be giving more and so on and so forth. So that Jeff Bezos does not exist. Right. Like yeah. the fact that like the top like 10 billionaires now are worth over a trillion dollars collectively, which specifically only happened because of the pandemic is a problem. Right. But it's like it's a ladder. Right. It's little by little until we get there. But then you look at like how much like you gave, for example, right to the black community and to mutual aid and to the most marginalized groups the last year, how much I gave and you compare that to individuals that have accumulated wealth, no matter how little, right? When you ask people, well, how much money did you put down, right? How much effort did you put into this? How much labor did you put yeah. into these movements versus 
like showing up is so critical, showing up to protests, right? Being at places, actually doing all of that is so critical. And also at the same time, the amount of people that I know that literally gave nothing to black communities last year, but will post Black Lives Matter posts and pictures and yep. all that kind of stuff. And yes, they're not millionaires and they're not billionaires, right? They're like middle-class people. Yep. And also like, I'm like, mm, show up better, show up more. Because Don't unless we- yeah come on now because unless like we all do that unless we all completely challenge the system right of like how capitalism works and and even like the concept of ownership is bs right the concept of owning a house is just capitalism it's bs um which is a different conversation that no one is really ready for (laughs) oh yeah especially in the united states they will freak out because i try to explain to a few people about how cuba distribute out their homes to people and it's basically all public property and how important good public housing can help out um but they're like what public housing no the ghetto no (laughs) i want every middle so i want so here's here's my wish list, um, or part of my wish list because it's really long and I don't think we have enough time for it. But um, uh, <laughs> part of my wish list is like well, specifically I'm gonna have to pop the video anyway, so you're good. <laughs> okay, cool. So so specifically like in the U.S., right? I want middle class white white cis straight individuals to go buy houses for Black people, and I would wish that they would pay the mortgage for it, but I don't think they will. And so I'm okay with. The black people and the undocumented people and the trans people and all the marginalized groups paying the mortgage themselves, right? But just those middle class people creating access because banks aren't going to give us that kind of money. Um, no, we know that. I also want all of those people. I want everyone with a U.S. passport to go and marry an undocumented person or an immigrant yes. tomorrow. Because yeah. if everyone does that, there's like. It's like, I think that it's like 2 million undocumented people in the U.S. That's 2 million Americans having to go and marry people for just three years and bam, no more undocumented people. And so um, if you're going to take all the immigrants, that that becomes a larger number. But let's at least get rid of like, let's make sure all undocumented people have citizenship and then they can determine what to do with that later. Like, Um, let them in. First of all. (laughs) Especially when it comes to Latino immigrants, this is their land. All right, literally, <laughs> you took Texas from them. You took Arizona. You took California. Don't don't give me this nonsense that you tell us in the books. Oh, we bought it. No, you murdered Indigenous people to get these states, and then you got the nerve to call New Mexico New Mexico like, <laughs> like it's a brand new thing. Yeah, like what? <laughs> How rude, yeah. And the U.S. screwed over all the countries in in Central and South America. I mean, just looking at, like, Mexico and the war on drugs there built off of the war on drugs in the U.S. is just, like, and, how, and what that's done and how neoliberalism has shown up. And Mexico is seen as a more stable country within, like, Central and South America. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, or the coup with, like, Bolivia last year. Or like what we're doing in Nicaragua, right? Like it just, it's never ending what the U.S. has done in places. But I actually, like, I don't care what the U.S. government does right now. I don't want to wait for them to open their doors and be decent. I want Americans with with U.S. citizenships to literally just go and get married to undocumented people. Like immediately, no questions asked. They don't lose anything to do it. so beautiful. 
And I think the the power within that is that that would be so transformational, not just for those 2 million people, but imagine if someone was willing to like, to, to do something actively for three years of their lives, right? Where, and they don't really actually have to do much, right? It's literally just like paperwork and then like do a couple interviews if you need to and take some pictures and things like that. Um, people can contact me if they need to know things. Um, but anyways, uh, but, but imagine the power of that, right? Or middle-class individuals going and buying houses for the most marginalized individuals who historically have never been permitted to have housing, um, right? And, and again, not even losing anything, literally having the most marginalized people still pay for that house, but literally just making it easier, right? Having access um, to different things because it is ridiculous. And my most privileged, I also mean like non-white people too, because like I remember when I was working at a Fortune 500, like my credit limit compared to like most people's like is more than what most people might ever see in their lives, because I was an engineer, right? And I was like in management in a Fortune 500 and like yeah. um, I was doing all this work and I had yeah, a, <laughs> like, yeah. And so I was able to do those things. And also at the same time, like, um, and so people like me or like me back then, because now no bank will ever give me a loan because technically I'm considered quote unquote self-employed. And if you are self-employed, that's even worse um, as a marginalized individual. Uh, so like doing consulting and things like that, and you don't have like a consistent salary through a, an employer, which is also how they kind of keep you within the system. Um, yeah. right? But there's so many things that people can do so many different ways that people can show up. Um, and, and this bare minimum is not good enough, right? Like I'm, I'm done with, with asking for, uh, the the crumbs and the bits and pieces. And nowadays when I talk to like, like privileged individuals and they're like, how can I show up? I'm like, go buy a house. Like for, for yeah, like, your, for real. like, <laughs> like it's that simple. Like I'm not going to tolerate, like give $50 a year, right? Like I'm not going to tolerate, like show up to a protest, which again are fantastic and great. So I'm not dissuading people from doing that. I'm just saying that if you're going to talk to me, I'm going to ask for more. You can talk to a lot of other people and they will tell you to show up to a protest and that's wonderful and that's fantastic. So you're going to hear that. But like, if you're going to talk to me, I'm going to tell you to go buy houses. I'm going to go and tell you to get married to people. <laughs> I'm going to go and tell you to like split your retirement fund and give it to a, another family or create a separate retirement fund for another family because retirement is also BS and does yeah. not make sense and is really oppressive. Um, so I want to see people do those things, right? I want to see people do things that, um, that put them at a place of perceived risk Right. Because they might be like, oh, my God, well, what if this family doesn't pay? I don't care. Right. Do it. No, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> like, not the point. Um, yeah. I want people to put themselves on the line in those ways, in the ways that we ask for versus the ways that they assume that they that we want them to. Um, yeah. Same with like Palestine. Right. Like, I don't want. Um, and this is going to be really, really, really controversial, right? Like, I do appreciate it when people go go to Palestine right? and, like, um, raise awareness and all that kind of stuff. And also, at the same time, I want them to go buy a house for a Palestinian family that doesn't have access to things. I want them to go and Yeah, I want them to go into the West Bank and build a house. Not with, like, Habitat with Humanity, because that's really weird. But I want them to, like, give, like, $100,000 and just... Put it into a house. Here's money for the community. Y'all do what you want with it, right? Like, no questions asked. 
it's not a matter of like, do you need this money? Do you not need this money? It's just like, literally here is money, right? Like we know that your houses are being stolen and being demolished and we know you're being killed and your land is robbed and so on and so forth. And, and here's money. And same with like indigenous communities. Like if you live in the United States and you're not indigenous or black, cause the black part gets really complicated. So I won't go into that, but if you're not indigenous or black, where's where's the reparations that you're giving right i don't care how marginalized you are within the united states if you're not those groups of people right like you're still in somebody else's home right right? that's not our land to to be on right and so how are we showing up to indigenous communities and and so on and so forth and i think of that here with me like in northern ireland for this year um and thinking of i am on irish land right how am i showing up for um the the irish causes right for the communities that exist here um in the ways that i'm being asked and how am i going beyond those asks right and uh and and going above that and uh and still showing up anyways wow and and it's just so important to think about that because i'm in the same mindset as well like i'm just like am i doing enough what else i need to do um, and how uh, more effectively can I do this? Do I need to contact somebody to help out with this? Or who can I get in touch that can help me get, like, guide me into the right track on what kind of information I need to execute such, such, and such? Um, I think that's just the, the mindset 24-7 what people should have. And if you're, going, if you're wealthy and you're going to buy somebody a house, do not blast it on social media like how they be giving out money to homeless people and put it like oh look what i did no nobody wants to see that all right do it because you want to and you want to help people don't do it because you want to put in a post on facebook because uh, i'm i'm going to be one of those people that's going to be like hey cut that out <laughs> yeah. give them support they don't need to be all over facebook <laughs> like just give them support help them out like you see that a lot with people that try to help and then they try to make it all cute with the stories. Like it's like a nice video with some like stupid ass song in the background. <laughs> it's subtitles and all this stuff. And then they got the camera all up in the person's face when they're crying. It's just like, bro, like, come on now. Nobody needs that. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we get it. You're trying to inspire people. Just, just make a post. If anything, like say a few words on Facebook. All right, don't give a whole camera presentation. <laughs> All right, nobody needs to see that. Like, this is yeah. private. What you need to show is the violence that's going on. That's what you need to show so people will understand exactly what the hell's going on. But then yeah. again, that's also bothers me as well, too, because I get so sick and tired of seeing it. But that's because, like, the work I do. So, of course, yeah. I get that people have to see it that don't fully understand. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just like, for me, it's, I mean, so Oscar Wilde talks a lot about this. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with, with Oscar Wilde's life and, and his works. Um, uh, He was an Irish person. He was prosecuted uh, for, for being queer, uh, imprisoned in England for a couple of years. Um, But uh, as in a lot, uh, this is back in the 1800s. So um, pre like uh, Irish independence. Um, But one of the things that he talks about is how, the concept of charity is 
uh, is a main concept that upholds capitalism and all of the oppression that comes within that, right? And so when a person goes and buys another person a house and they share it on social media and there's a camera in front of the person's face and they're like, oh my God, look how good I am. All of that is just this concept of charity and that actually just feeds into the same problem versus recognizing that we all need to show up for our communities. We are all benefiting off of somebody's oppression. We need right. to do better. This isn't a, I am so good that I gave $500 to an organization last week or something. This is literally me giving $500 because I have to, because I should, because that's exactly. the right thing to do. It doesn't make me a good person. It doesn't even make me a decent person. It has nothing to do with me as an individual. It's literally just a matter of, trying because you you can't like balance it out but trying to like balance out that privilege that you're gaining off of the oppression of individuals whether you're directly connected to that or not but i would just like all of us every single person in the u.s in particular to just acknowledge that everyone benefits off of somebody else's oppression it's literally that simple yes. the more privilege right now yeah for Absolutely. people to accept because you just see the cancel culture and and just like it's just like oh you're they're just using that to say look what you're doing you're benefited like you are too and you have to understand that and you have to figure out how can you counterproductive that how can you counteract that it's not counteractive it's just like oh well i voted for biden so i'm so i did my part no you have to do so much more if you really care about before you go on social media and just start canceling people for things when you know damn well that you live in this nice home and you just gave out a donation to Biden, who is a war criminal. So thank you for the war criminal <laughs> donation. But <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah, you did your part. Good, good. And now you're on social media canceling people. No, no, it goes both ways. It goes both yeah. ways. Yeah. It really does. Absolutely. I think this is like the perfect place to like end because if I get started on cancel culture, we will be here <laughs> two more hours. Well, well, my friend, we're going to have to get you back on here one day. <laughs> this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's I'm, I'm so uh, glad that you're doing this work and um, yeah, so just so honored to, to have been a part of it and uh, happy to support anytime I can. And, um, yeah. And, uh, it, I guess if folks like have questions and things, I guess if they reach out to you, definitely feel free to like send them my way. Um, uh, happy to have some conversations. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, but yeah, just thanks again for, for having me. This has been wonderful. Oh yeah. Thank you for so much. Thank you so much for coming on and hope, and we'll talk again. Uh, definitely going to stay in touch and all that stuff. Um, so everybody have a really good day. And um, have a good night. Well, it's not night yet over here, but have a good night. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bye. I'll talk to you later. Collectively transforming community. Peace in our human family. Volume and unity. Divine light shining individually. Collectively transforming community. Peace in our human family. As above.
above, so below. Feel the pain in my soul, the rep he'll dissolve. Organized, no matter the cost. Politicians start wars, they don't fight, they sit in the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together. Give hell to the masses, watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture. It's one love, one growth, one light, light warriors.